This is episode 719 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. On this episode, I interview Dr. Joe Alton and Nurse Amy Alton of doomandbloom.net. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is usually an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website. But from time to time, I interview members of the preparedness community who can bring a ton of value and information to your preparedness. Links for this podcast can be found in the show notes or on theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. Hey, this episode is sponsored by the exclusive Prepper Website email group, which allows you to communicate with other preppers right from your email. You don't have to worry about your every link, click, or word being tracked by social media. This email group resides on the same servers as Prepper Website, so you can trust it. Other benefits include members-only videos, periodic webinars, and online meetups. This is a great value for $20 a year. If you want some more information, visit PrepperWebsite.net or click the link in the show notes. Hey, I also want to remind you that you can follow me over at BuyMeACoffee.com. There's a link in the show notes, so you can go right over there. That's where I'm kind of showing my uh, social media posts there. I'm using that as social media. But I also have the top 10 on Prepper website, and that's a service for $5 a month or $50 a year where you can sign up and get the 10 most popular articles on Prepper website for the week. And I send it right to your email in a nice newsletter format. If you like a little bit more information, like I said, head on over to buy me a coffee. The link is in the show notes. I want to give a quick shout out to Bojo, and I think I said that correctly. He left a review on Apple iTunes and or Apple Podcasts, I guess. Uh, they change, they keep changing the name on me, I guess. Uh, he said, great info and insight. And that's very short and sweet to the point. I greatly appreciate that, guys. Anytime I see the uh, a review come through or you know the uh, a rating come through, I greatly appreciate it. Um, it. It really is a big blessing to me. So thank you so much for doing that. All right, so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about medical preparedness. You know, there are many uncertainties in our future. And one such uncertainty is the state of medicine. And that is why medical preparedness should be an important focus for everyone who wants to live a self-reliant life. Now, on this interview, I talk with Dr. Joe Alton, Dr. also Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy Alton, uh, who is a, a nurse practitioner, about medical preparedness. They're my two of my favorite people in preparedness, and uh, I really enjoy talking with them. Uh, this is the fifth time I've interviewed them for the podcast, and they have a lot of great information. You know, uh, one of the other episodes, and I'm, I'm going to link to all of them in the show notes if you haven't seen that already, if you're interested in learning more, but I think medical preparedness is very important. So there is an episode on uh, boosting up your first aid kits, on over-the-counter medicines that you should stockpile, on antibiotics that you should stockpile, and then on labor and delivery in an SHTF situation. I think that's very important. So I've linked to all of those in the show notes here so you can go and uh, listen to those if you haven't. But without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this interview with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy Alton of bloomanddoom.net. Joe Alton, Dr. Joe Alton, and Nurse Amy Alton, welcome to the Prepper Website Podcast. Thank you for having us, Todd. Yay, we're back. Yeah, I, was, I was glad to be here. Thanks for having us. I, I, I think y'all have probably been on more than anybody else. 
And I oh. love have, I love having you guys on. We're honored. Oh, I want a badge. You're going to make a little badge. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to make a badge. And you, there you, you, go. you get the prepper website badge. I so, love it. <laughs> so what have you guys been up to lately? Well, we just got back from our place in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Gateway to the beautiful Great Smoky Mountains National Park. We spent some time in the backcountry. We uh, oh, wait. saw a lot he of made wildlife. Me, he made me hike a five-mile hike. <laughs> To yeah. Abrams Falls, if everyone's been in the Smoky Mountain National Park, they'll they'll understand that. And that was not easy. So I, I feel very proud that we actually did that. It was up and down and it's up not and the, down. It's not the distance. It's the uh, up and elevation. Down. <laughs> elevation is <laughs> three is, times. Yeah. But anyway, that was fun. Yeah. So we do a lot. Of, we do a lot of that type of stuff when we're up there. We, of course, we like to see the pretty leaves and all. Oh, yeah. All that. We saw some wild wildlife. Amy decided for some reason, Amy looked at a, a log, decided to pull a little bark off it. And we found a salamander. I've, yeah, I've never done that. It was which, a fallen tree. And I just I don't know what prompted me to do this, but I thought I'm going to pull that bark off and see what's underneath. And it was a salamander. And we've been trying to find, see salamanders for supposedly more salamanders many the, years, right? In the Smoky Mountains National Park than anywhere else, just about. And, but we have seen them very rarely, like once I think we saw yeah, one. Yeah, I saw one. Yeah. But uh, this was, uh, it was pretty, so cool. Pretty impressive. Of course, we have bears coming by our, At our front place. door. And, and the bears in the Smoky Mountains <laughs> National Park, they actually know how to open car doors. Wow. So if you don't lock your car at night, what happens is in the morning, you'll wind up with the all car doors open and the whole, it looks like uh, uh, the collapse of Rome. You know, it, it's, it's like <laughs> everything is ransacked. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, you know, that's. It's something that uh, I've never had to deal with, you know, living in Houston and living yeah. in the suburbs <laughs> and not too many bears. You yet. don't have those, those bears walking by your house every day. <laughs> no, no. Now where, where I live, there are deer. So you could just be driving down and, you know, you could go down, you could take a turn down one of the streets and you'll be in more of a rural looking setting and with mm -hmm. a lot of woods. And so every once in a while, you'll see a deer come out to the street and they stay there for a little bit and then they, they head back into the woods. So uh, we see a little bit of that, but never had to deal with anything like that. That's, that's <laughs> yes, and them And them opening your unlocked doors. If you forget your doors, because they, they will come by three or four times a day. I have a ring video with a floodlight. They have a circuit. They, they do. Two, three, four times a day, they come by. There's a mom with the three cubs. Uh, this year, uh, there was a mom with four cubs last year. Uh, and then there's some male that's like pretty burly. Yes. Yeah. Big, big boy. Yes. And uh, they do. They stand up and they grab your car door and they try to open it. And they'll they'll try all your car doors. I mean, they are smart because they've been rewarded. Mm. The one time you forget, I actually had to chase a bear out of my truck a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah. And I have that on the ring video. Yeah. I'm screaming. Uh, I'm screaming and pounding hey. on the shut window and right. door and he's on the side. other side with the door open and he's just looking at me through the window. <laughs> I, I did actually scare him and get him out, but mm. he was ready to tear my car up. It was scary. <laughs> well, to really answer your question, anyway, what, what has really been new with us so is yes, that we have our, year. New, right, our new edition. We've been writing a book for an entire year and that is our new edition of the survival medicine handbook with this is the fourth edition and it's now out and we went really hog wild writing it. And it's been a full of five or six years since the last edition came out. So it was time to do it. 
and we have five years of information, probably two or 300 articles that we needed to add uh, information from those into the book. I mean, that we had revised things that changed medically during that time. And of course, there were new products, mm-hmm. uh, the IT clamp, the zip stitch, all these other things that have come out since the book, the last book was out that could be handy to help the family medic. So we definitely wanted to have that in there. We tried to keep it in the same format, six by nine dimension. <laughs> that we found that if we did that, we'd have a six by nine book that was 1100 pages. Or, so, or more. Or more. Or more. So we turned it into an <laughs> eight by 10 book and um, uh, ended up with, still end up with 700, 700 pages. Yep. And uh, luckily the book's been very well received. Actually broke Amazon's top 100 for a very short time. Yeah, there you go. You got one. Uh, it, it, this sucker is huge, man. I mean, this, it's like bigger than my, I've got a giant print Bible because I'm old and I need the, you know, <laughs> I, I need the letters a little bit. This is bigger than that. I mean, it's crazy. It uh, is crazy. I collect that. Well, we actually collect Bibles from the 19th century. And so we have some Bibles that are like even two, older. two feet high. Yeah. We have, we have yeah. a couple that are even older. Yep. Right. <laughs> So this is so, great. So you thought it was big, huh? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. And so uh, I'm going to be doing a little video on it. So during the, the Thanksgiving break, I have uh, I brought home a, a document camera camera that that we have in the office, and uh, I use it. It's it's like a document camera on steroids. And so I'm going to show people how big it is compared to <laughs> compared to what we have and uh, what what you've done before in the past. Yeah, because it's 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 humongous. Um, and by I, the way, thank you for a, a wonderful blurb and testimonial in the book you are you are listed as one of Todd our top, is in top our experts. book yes. it, it is in the book and so I uh and it's on the Amazon reviews and everything and I want to read it I want to I'm going to read it okay so because it's here it's on one of the first pages because I say this everybody who listens to the podcast knows that I say this all the time so it's like you can't purchase medical preparedness like you can buy other survival and preparedness gear Medical preparedness is 90% knowledge and know-how. This is why I always say the first book any prepper should own is the Survival Medical Handbook by Dr. Joe and Amy Alton. I, I say that all the time. So anyone who's familiar with the podcast has heard that. I even share that out on, on Prepper website when I link to your to your book to, uh, to purchase it. This is the first book that anyone should buy. I'm really glad that y'all started doing this. You know, fourth edition um, It's just been... Uh, the testament to how many people have purchased it and uh, the rankings and all of that, that, that you have, I think is just that testament of how important a book is and how important um, everyone sees that it is. Right. And we had no idea that that would be like that. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing how the, the kind of response we've had and, and so much of it has been positive. You know, we have very few people that really throw shade on our our, our work, and uh, we're just so blessed. Yeah, you, you've got a lot of support out here. Um, I got to ask you. Um, so y'all were y'all. I feel privileged to own one of the colored copies. Do y'all still own? You only made so many. Do you still have some of the colored copies available? If someone wanted to buy one. Uh. Well, <clears throat> we sold out of the 500. <laughs> we we bought we I had it privately printed at an American company. I felt strongly that I wanted to have American paper, American print and, and support an American company. And so we Joe's like, "Oh, you're going to buy 500? No way. No one's <laughs> going to buy that." <laughs> so before we left to go to Tennessee, I 
we signed the last 500 to out of out of 500 wow. <laughs> the last few out of the 500 yeah and so and the, those out. are gone but but i realized probably a, a couple weeks too late that it was going to sell out and so i placed another order so i have be, more coming but they're not the going to be first, limited edition they're the first shipment is shipping on Monday to me, and they said four days, but I'm calculating four days is Thanksgiving, so I'm probably not going to get them on Thanksgiving, <laughs> but I do have more coming, so it's just they're going to ship around uh, my birthday, November 29th. All right, so, and happy birthday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, happy so we'll birthday. Unload, unload all the books. <laughs> we'll be working all day on November 29th right. to make sure we fill all those those back orders of people who purchase. So, so we'll, you will get a color you book. You will get color books. Yes, They're they will, will be, be available. <laughs> and, and those are purchased on your website, not on Amazon. Yes, only. Correct? Yes, okay. only on our the, website. The black and white is on Amazon. Okay, awesome. And um, I mean, I almost don't want to like mess this one up. It's so nice. You know, again, the color, <laughs> the color copies are, are, are great. I got to ask you, what's your favorite chapter in the book? Oh my gosh. Mine is the nursing section because there is no other. I know there's a lot of books that have suddenly decided to call themselves survival medicine handbooks or survival medicine book or whatever the variety of our name and, you know, tried to put out a book like that, but no book, no first aid book, no, no survival medicine book varieties out there has anything on nursing care. And so I really am truly proud of that section because that's the whole point of survival medicine is you're going to be caring for a person at home. Well, that's great if you can put a cast on or stop bleeding. But once you put a patient in bed, that's a whole other can of worms. If you don't know what you're doing, you can wind up with a person even sicker. So we're talking you know, hygiene and nutrition, uh, charting, which is very important because especially if you have different caretakers, you need to communicate what's going on with the patient, um, privacy of the patient, making sure the patient feels cared for and that no one's abandoning them. And there's just a lot in there. And so the nursing chapter for me um, was sort of um, my baby and I'm, I'm really proud of it. Some of the stuff is just not, <laughs> some of the stuff like, like nursing care is not the sexy, sensational stuff. No, <laughs> that you, you, you want it. You see in, you know, Rambo movies or, or right. things like that. How to give a but, bed bath, right? <laughs> but, but the truth is, is that they really make a difference in terms of the survival of people who have an injury and stuff. You, yep. you don't have good nursing care. You certainly are going to lose people that you otherwise would not have. If mm-hmm. You didn't didn't know how to deal with them on a daily basis until they reach a full recovery. Right. And that goes for infections and trauma and just about just about any kind of medical issue. And someone who's not a nurse doesn't understand that you've got to turn a patient every two hours. I mean, it, it seems like a small thing, but if you don't do that and somebody has any kind of um, compromised skin integrity, bed sores, you could wind up with a terrible bed sore. And those are, are really tough to deal with. Anyone who's had right. an older person or someone with diabetes who's gotten one of those they can almost be forever. And so you want to prevent these things. And that chapter makes you think about things like that and, and what you need to do and, and how to prevent it. Joe, what's your favorite chapter? Oh, oh I have, I have so, so many that I've enjoyed 
writing. I enjoyed writing, of course, making the case for medical preparedness in the beginning. Um, I enjoyed writing uh, The Medic Under <clears throat> Fire, which is an unusual thing that you won't, you really won't expect uh, to see in a medical book. Um, uh, Survival at Sea, I thought, was sort of interesting. Uh, I, I enjoyed that. And, uh, and of course, bleeding and all and and the sexy stuff you know <laughs> bleeding and trauma what to do we went really hardcore with a lot of we stuff did. you know wounds. We talked about wound you a know, lot about wounds wound it, care uh rectal rehydration for in, in, in situations i made where, a graphic for that which took me probably <laughs> three hours to do because right. i had to piece different images and graphics for all of the things, you know, the person, the Foley, the clamp, right. the, the IV pole, right. I, those are all pasted together to make an right. image of what you need to do. Right. Um, one thing we did uh, to create this book is we tore apart the for the third edition. And literally, we just said- It's totally different. We have to reorganize this. And we started thinking, what's the most organized thing? And we started, you know, head to toe and then from inside out. So you, you go from the head to the toe, and then we go from bones and joints to soft tissue damage to, and then skin. So we really worked it in a, a logical way and it took all of the articles that Joe's been writing since oh 2016, since the last book was out, and um, printed up all the titles of those, cut those titles, and then stuck those inside the book where they belong. And then we laid them out on the table. I have a picture of <laughs> the table of contents. A six-foot table. With it's, a, and it's all cut up strips of pieces strips of, of papers, paper. right? Of, of with topics, of topics, topics, articles, right? The titles, how we were going to organize it. So I haven't. I haven't. It was a lot of organization. Right. I haven't counted the actual number of medical topics. I mean, there would be a couple hundred. There's more I mean, than that. And no. then we added 200 more images. And I created mm. a lot of graphics on uh, a program called Canva, which is free on Google. Um, that was fun creating those. Um, a lot of step by step. I took some pictures also. So we had a lot of fun doing yes. it. And we tried to add more um, improvised things. Like we now have a, a graph, a picture with different kinds of improvised pelvic slings. So, I mean, we just, every single chapter has more information, maybe slightly reorganized. And another thing we wanted to do is break down uh, things that he had put in paragraphs before into a quick how-to step. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of bulleted points that you didn't right. see in 2016. Um, you know, do this, 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 and this. So it's pulled out. So the, so we have an emphasis on exact steps to follow. Um, it, so it's easier to read, I think. One um, other thing that I really like, I yeah. just want to mention yeah. is that we, you know, we wrote about a lot in the, in the previous books about essential oils and things like that. And those are, those are very important, but they're in, in a sense, unless you have distil a distillery, you're not going to be able to make them. So eventually when you run out of the ones that you've accumulated, you know, you need to figure out other ways to do it. So we really concentrated on writing about how to make medicinal garden yes, and how to make herbal teas. Cause the, uh, make, making an herbal tea is a lot easier than distilling essential oil. Oh yeah. And that's basically what you get a drop, the, <laughs> right, what the survival medic or the off grid medic 
is going to depend on mostly in terms of using their natural plants and things like that. And so we added an entire chapter on herbal teas. And another thing, a, a goal for this <laughs> book was to put in a lot of anatomy pictures because I think showing the parts and where they are and where they're located was important for people to understand the body. And um, we had held back a little bit of about images in 2016 for, for size purposes. And this one, we just went hog wild. We're like, we're just going to add as much as we want and we'll make the book as, you know, bigger dimensions if we have to, which we did. <laughs> so that was fun. It's, it's no doubt a, a humongous resource for anyone to have, especially those in the preparedness community. So uh, I, I, again, I was blown away because I, I have the other ones. And when I had, when I, when I look at both of them and the sizes and then what you've included in there, I, I was blown away. Y'all did such a great job on this one. And I know it's going to be such a powerful help to those uh, in the future. I mean, now and in the future, you know, um, there's no doubt that people are looking at it right now for help. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into that. Actually, that's a great, uh, you know, lead into the next question that I have for you, because there, there might be people that are looking at your book and although it's a survival medical handbook, there are, and you know, when medicine or hospitals are not available and all that kind of stuff, there's still a lot of information that people can use right now, right, right, right today. And so with the craziness of this world and what's going on, I wanted to specifically ask you about the state of the medical community. You know, there's, it's just, it just seems like when you're looking at social media, you're looking at uh, any news reports or uh, articles, or whatever. It's like there's doctors on both sides of this jab issue and line or, lines are drawn. It's there. It's not just like, Hey, I have a different opinion than you. It's like battle lines, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely nuts out there. So in your opinion, what's going on? Well, it looks like there are two schools of thought that exist with regards to, let's say, COVID-19, okay? With regards to COVID-19, the government's medical experts and physicians, like uh, like the, those that are in uh, other alternative organizations like the Frontline COVID Critical Care Alliance, who are fighting to have alternative therapies like ivermectin available in city hospitals, they, they're they just these two schools of thought, the government's medical experts and other physicians that are in the, they may or may not be in the minority. One thing the mainstream medical experts claim is that 90% of the people who end up hospitalized with COVID-19 are unvaccinated. Now, I questioned local lung doctors in my local hospital. They verify that this does seem to be true. So you can't say that COVID is not a thing and vaccination seems to decrease hospitalizations and deaths. But the medical experts are inflexible. The established medical experts, the ones you see on TV, they are very inflexible. The, the other alternative physicians, like uh, the Frontline COVID Critical Care Alliance, claims the effectiveness of natural immunity to be superior to vaccines, uh, treatments that are effective, uh, but the mainstream experts hate things like uh, ivermectin. And sometimes we need to listen to these doctors too, and we have to take the mainstream experts with a grain of salt. Now, both of these claim to follow the science. And this is a, something I really want to talk about because everybody hears about following the science. This, 
is unfortunately where a lot of politics come into play. A politicians' faith in the opinions of government experts, medical experts, it serves a purpose for them. It separates them from the blame for faulty recommendations. Why? We were just following the science. But the goals of a medical expert, even an unbiased one, are different than that of a politician. The medical expert is concerned about preventing every bad outcome that can occur from the presence of, let's say, a virus in the country. That means that they're going to recommend measures that are strict enough to achieve that goal, even if it means putting every citizen in their own personal bubble. Now, this is in some cases due to idealistic motives and maybe impractical, but idealistic. In other cases, these measures are used as hedges against the kind of legal liability that may occur from being too lax. You know, this person died because you didn't have a strong enough measure of protection against them in terms of your policy. I mean, let's face it, it's a great time to be a lawyer. In the worst case scenario, experts sometimes cynically recommend strict measures to wear down citizen support for a policy or even an entire government. I mean, if the new normal makes people sick and tired enough, they're going to blame somebody. It's usually not the medical expert. Now, one thing that doesn't concern medical experts much is the effect that their recommendations are going to have on an economy or other collateral damage. They point to the science, look, we're saving lives, but the fabric of an entire nation could unravel from a, an economic standpoint. Uh, politics in general, they like their experts to make decisions and recommendations for them. It takes away their responsibility if they're just following the science, but for some reason, many didn't realize it, in the course of the pandemic still don't realize, honestly, how lockdowns re result in such wide-ranging consequences for yeah, not only the economy of a community, but the psyche of a community. I mean, I, I thought this would happen. I bet you did too, uh, Todd. But all I can say is that public health policy has a lot of repercussions, and, more, and it's more than just public health. I mean, you know, the task forces they put together, the advisory committees they put together, you know, they populate them with experts. These are political appointees. And of course, the politicians will always hope for sympathetic treatment from their appointees, but they're mostly administrators. Even if they have MD or DO after their names, some haven't touched a patient for years. And like their bosses, they act politically and they can erase physicians that work on research on the front lines that don't agree with them. People that consider alternative therapies and things like that. And I don't mean they put them in jail. I'm just saying that destroying their reputations works just fine to get them out of the picture. So my opinion <laughs> is different on the jab um, <laughs> because they've changed the definition of vaccine to include these MRNA um, jabs is it's your decision. It's your own body. There should be no mandates. I'm sorry. And I definitely don't think we should be injecting children who basically get sniffles or you don't even know they're sick. Um, there is what 200 children that have passed away from this COVID and probably all of them had some, at least one, two or three comorbidities. This is not killing children. I don't understand why we're vaccinating them. More deaths occur from the flu with children than COVID. If you're really concerned about public health safety, why aren't we mandating the flu vaccine, which has more issues with children. So I don't understand that. Um, I think people listen to the wrong experts and the media got hysterical over COVID 
it has become again political like joe said but it's also been way overblown if we are healthy and not with a lot of comorbidity comorbidities you're probably going to be just fine now if you choose to get a vaccine that's your body that is your choice and you might be doing that because you have older folks that you live with or you have great grandparents that are or grandparents or even parents that are in a susceptible um, group or they have comorbidities. I mean, you have to make the choice. Who, who, if I get COVID, am I going to expose around me and am I going to recognize it and stay away from them or am I not going to know I have COVID and I'm going to expose them? You have to make choices for yourself. And I think every individual has that right. I think parents have the right to decide whether they get their child jabbed or not uh, with this, if you if they're not requiring the flu vaccine, why are they requiring this? I think it's gone hysterical. I think people have just gone bonkers, crazy, and you know, this. Well, vac- you've never you've never seen, at least in my lifetime, I've never seen anything so ridiculous where it's like, here you you know you get the jab and we'll put you in a lottery so you can win a million bucks, right? I mean, whoever has has experienced anything like that, if it's truly life-saving, you know, I, you know, and I, I know that you can take that for whatever, but there's going to, you're not going to have to convince people to line up to get it, you know, Worse if, than. If that, well, that, that was the case. <laughs> right. I, I know, I know people who had COVID should have that natural immunity aspect of it, but their bosses are still telling them to get the jab. I'm like, that, that doesn't make sense to me, you know? Right. Well, because I, I 100% following, agree with and, you. And it, it doesn't, make, doesn't make sense, but the mainstream medical experts are recommending it and they are, and they are telling you to shut up and follow the science, quote no, unquote, which, which their, which the, their science, which the science is, <laughs> is their, their science, opinion. Right. It's not even the science it or their science is it's their opinion is what it is. And we were sold a false bill of goods at the beginning of the year. Oh, we're going to have this quote vaccine, which by the way, if you look back in the definitions of vaccines, they have added this vaccine to the definition, quote, vaccine. It was never a vaccine. This is not actually a vaccine. A vaccine is to prevent infection. Well, guess what? This is not preventing infection. These, quote, breakthroughs doesn't prevent it. And these vaccines, again, quote, we're getting are wearing off (laughs) in three months. Six months, a, a Johnson and Johnson vaccine from March in September is now 13% effective. That is insane. Now, I will say the one thing it does help is death. It, it limits that. People still can die from having the COVID and having a vaccine, but it does dramatically decrease your risk of death. So if Death is your worry because you think you're going to get COVID and you have comorbidities or you're elderly, but even somebody who's what, 85 has a 99.1% chance of survival. 
Yeah, it has, it has right? a high, high chance of survival. I mean, it's over 99%. So what would you say to those countries that have high percentages of, um, of vaccinated people, of their of population, but they still have high numbers of COVID? What, I, what's that about? It doesn't I, I prevent you from getting it. I mean, it prevents they, you in a portion, but it doesn't prevent you from having COVID. The, the truth is, is that the truth is, is that the science is faulty still. Okay. And it's not totally the fault. I'm not saying it's a cynical, it, it's totally cynical. I mean, it's something that we were blindsided with this particular virus. We didn't expect it. Uh, our previous experience with it was with SARS uh, in uh, 2000, sudden acute respiratory syndrome in uh, 2003, but that was a very limited uh, outbreak and it never really affected us in the United States. And so we, we're flying by the seat of our pants with regards to the, the pandemic with this particular virus. And we tried to, as quickly as possible, put together some answers. And, and these vaccines are just not the, they're not as effective as we would like them to be. Because essentially, they and they're were, wearing off. They were first. Tri- <laughs> they were our first try at it, and and that's what people don't realize is that, you know, there there are limits to what medicine can do. I mean, we can we can try to do things, but not not all. It's not all the time that they turn out to give you lifelong protection. You know, lifelong. So. Forget it. We're you're getting three months. Exactly. They want us to get boosters every three to six months. I mean, this is insane. Yeah. How be- many boosters am I going to have if I was a 20 year old by the time I die? So uh, my point hundreds. Right, right. I mean, this is insane. My point is that you just can't accept everything that you're told by government experts as being, you know, uh, and, and Joe, I Invalid. think that this, this, is a, this is a dog chasing its tail well, is and, what it is. And Joe, I think that's that's the scary thing, because we've grown up. You go to the doctor, you're sick, you go to the doctor and you trust this doctor that he will give you what you know, he'll diagnose what what is wrong and he will give you what you need. You trust the experts. You know, you grow up trusting the experts that, you know, they'll you know, they'll give you the good advice and things like that. And um, I think it's starting to, people are, are completely like, that's not where we need to go anymore. Right. We can't trust these people that are telling us this anymore. And then, so that, uh, that, that causes more division and that causes more uh, issues there because, you know, who, who are you going to trust? Anybody who is very, who's just paying attention, who's looking at the news and flipping around and going to different social media, you're, you're hearing so many different things. You're hearing so many different extremes. It's like, it's almost like you don't know uh, who to believe anymore. Actually, I've, I've heard people uh, around me in my office, and, you know, talk about that. You don't know who to believe anymore. And I think that's, that's going to be a big problem. It is a big problem. You know, what else we don't know is the long-term effects. Yeah. You know, and now you're giving it to children. I I just don't understand. I I don't understand why we could start mandating five-year-olds who this probably hasn't been a single five-year-old that's died in this country from COVID. That was otherwise healthy. That was otherwise healthy. A five-year-old. We don't know what that's doing to their body. Yeah. 
No, it's it's um, and it, we could go on and on on this one. I'm sure y'all could go on and on. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, in in our emo group, we um, <clears throat> we've talked about it a lot extensively. But the, I just I wanted to get your opinion on the the medical community because there's so many different views out there and there's so many different doctors. Um, it's it's just kind of nuts. Listen, you you mentioned something about the economy and shutting down and how that affects and and all those different kinds of things. I wanted to to jump into that um, because one of the things that we've been talking about in the preparedness community is the economy, inflation, prices going up. I mean, it's a whole you know, there's so many things that, that are tied into that. But when you were in active practice uh, and, and you were seeing patients, how did the last inflationary period affect people getting medical attention? You know, from a patient standpoint in past financial crisis, crises, uh, pay, people use the hospital emergency room as a primary care office because emergencies can't be refused care, even if you can't pay the bills. Uh, maybe your credit rating would suffer, but that's really about, about it. Now, that still isn't great for the financial health of the medical system, for, but for me personally, you know, I often saw patients without the ability to pay, and, and money was never the big thing for me. So my office was always busy. I never had anybody that, that would say that they were reluctant to see me because there was a bill involved or you know, or, or if they asked me, you know, that, or told me they couldn't pay, you know, then I'd say I would just see them for free. Uh, I just don't think anybody didn't see me for financial reasons in the past. Now, but now we're in, in a new inflationary period and it's in, in impacting pretty much every sec- sector of the economy. And of course that includes healthcare and the supply chain costs, which because of this uh, crisis that we have, which supply chain, I mean, supply chain costs account for about a third of provider operating budgets. I mean, you can imagine where we're heading, you know, in the future if this continues. Uh, a lot of people consider doctors to be profiteers, but the truth is the healthcare providers themselves operate on very thin margins in the age of HMOs and Obamacare. The, the age of the fantastically rich doctor who got rich simply because of being a doctor, I think that era is pretty much uh, gone. But I see more and more problems in the future unless the economic environment changes. And, and that's going to be, I think, very unlikely in the next few years. Uh, in the past, uh, cancers, cardiovascular disease, musculoskeletal conditions, musculoskeletal problems uh, are usually, were usually the top three conditions by cost. Today, I think that's, that probably still holds. The frequency of these problems, however, won't change. And I, the people seeking care for serious events relating to cancer, uh, heart disease, and, and musculoskeletal trauma, for example, that, that's, or, or, or degeneration like arthritis, those things are still going to occur regardless of inflation. And we're just going to have to bear the cost of it as long as the medical system can stand it. But one new thing that will be a big issue and, and really affected by inflation is, is the fact that mental and behavioral health problems are going to become increasingly significant in the future. We're identifying lots more people that, have mental, that are mentally ill that just haven't been diagnosed in the past. And people with these issues, they don't always seek care. And you know things like uh, a hospital bill, 
may prevent them from seeking care. So we may see ill effects on society as a result of people wholesale, people that need mental care who wholesale will not go to see, seek care for it. Uh, I predict that uh, the results are going to be more violence, requiring more trauma resources, more cost due to that, more long-term care resources needed for the mentally ill. That's going to cost a lot of things. All these things are going to strain the medical infrastructure, and I think it's going to lead to less quality of care. And and you know who's going to really suffer is seniors, who they're going to be expected to, as uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, once said, just age out and die. And I really think that that's... Uh, that's what we're going to see is if, if we continue to have high inflation and if we continue to um, wind up having uh, a strain on medical infrastructure, I really think that's going to affect mostly the seniors who are going to receive less quality of care or maybe not receives, not receive care at all. And just because society believes that it's just best, well, maybe it's best for them just to age out and die. Yeah, that's um, so unfair, right? I mean, somebody who has given their life, they've paid their taxes, they've done all the things, and they expect to uh, be able to, to to get the care that they wanted to or expected to, or that they were always told that they would get, and then they're not able to get it. Um, and then the, I think the mental health thing, on top of all the the things that we're seeing with the lockdowns, and and it, it's 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 really crazy, like here in Texas, it's almost like nothing, nothing ever happened. It, it, at least that's where, what I feel like when I go to the store, when I go out, there's still people that are wearing their, uh, their masks, some people that are wearing masks, but for the most part, uh, you see some differences in, in shelves and things like that. But for the most part, it's back to normal compared to some of the other States that have completely, you know, locked down and, and things are still rough and, there's people there that are struggling, like you said, mentally, and they're not going to go for, for whether the stigma of it or whether it's the, the, the cost of it seeking help. So, and, and I, it's what I said uh, before I said that all of this, all these, all these uh, draconian measures are affecting not only the economy, but not, not, but they're affecting the psyche of commu entire communities. And, uh, you know, I think that it causes more depression. I think it causes probably <clears throat> causes has caused more. I haven't read the seen the figures, but I bet there are more suicides that are occurring. I certainly more suicides there occurring are, with there, veterans. That actually has gone up, honey. So has, drug use and suicides and, and alcohol abuse. Exactly. So people are going to self-medicate, right? If they yeah. think if they can't go see the, the, a psychiatrist, they're going to go, they're going to self-medicate. Definitely. Well, um, do you, do you see some of the, I mean, we don't, I, I always go to Twitter to see the protests that are happening all over the world. You don't hear about them anywhere else other than on social media and, and uh, you, you have to know how to look for them and, and kind of find them. Uh, there's things going on, you know, um, in Australia and to just today in London and Paris and, and all over the world. So do you think that that is a good sign when when I think that some people are are waking up to it. I think the funny thing in the United States um, is that we're too polite a society in general and we wind up having 
making less com less complaints, except for a very vocal minority. And the vocal minority, I mean, the problem with the vocal minority is that they're violent, <laughs> too. Yeah. And yeah. and so you you'll see, you know, I you may see uh, some some uh, rioting or 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 violence as a result of you know an unpopular uh, election result or an unpopular judicial decision or or the uh, verdict in a in a case maybe maybe an issue and and people a, a small minority of of them will will be violent and 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 protest violently or riot actually but for change it for for the average person who is just annoyed at lockdowns and things like that they don't organize and and go out in the thousands to to complain of lockdowns except in very very few cases i think i saw one protest in new york city once but it's something very common in other countries, Australia, the UK, certain areas of Europe, they're they're right, they're uh, protesting about this all the time, and that the the draconian measures that are being foisted upon them uh, are are affecting their their quality of life, and and for they can handle it for a period of time, but now, you know, it's getting old. Yeah, and and as people start to get frustrated more and more, they feel the pain more and more. You can kind of see that happening even more so. So, um, you know, you brought up the supply chain and the slowdowns and the things that uh, we're noticing. Uh, what advice would you give to those that are uh, self-reliant minded, the, you know, those that are preparedness minded on what to stock up on? So you, we might not be able to order it right away or whatever, but when we find it, we want to go ahead and purchase it so that we have it on on hand. Uh, what would you suggest? Well, I mean, the same advice we've given for years now. I mean, food, water, shelter, have to get these issues dealt with first. So whatever your situation is, if you haven't gotten a, a supply of food and you don't have a, a source of a source for water or you don't have a, a reasonable shelter, those things are are just the classic things, and they haven't changed. Then medical supplies would be what we would consider next. As things get out of out of more out of control, there are going to be some shortages of a lot of these things. We've experienced it in in our medical <clears throat> kit business. Yeah, you know, in in terms of getting certain supplies, it, there's a back order. Or sometimes uh, in the past last couple of years, it was masks. Uh, now, gloves. now it's impossible some, to get gloves right, for now, a period. Right, and now it's uh, now it's other things. Gauze. So, so we're seeing this this type of thing already. Having a good supply of these items in your home was going to give you the best chance of weathering periods where there are a lack of lack of goods when you just can't go to the store and, and buy band aids or or things like that. Yeah, I, I would. I always keep. I, by the way, with regards to being prepared, if you are a prepared person, if you're medically prepared, if you've got food, water, you've got your shelter uh, dealt with, you know, always keep your storage supplies quiet. I mean, just keep them just amidst your, you know, your, your immediate family. I really believe that's important because I think that a lot of people in times of trouble are going to consider you and your family their disaster plan if they know <laughs> that you are a prepared individual. We've so, heard that more than So that's once. one thing that's important. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm, I'm coming to your place, so you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How many times? How many times would you hear that if you told people? You know, You're you welcome. Exactly, Absolutely, right. we're welcome to come. So, what if money is tight and people are wanting to get prepared medically? Money is tight and they need to stock up and maybe they're stocking up slowly, but there's, you know, if, if we would have like at the beginning of the whole COVID thing, we've gone, we've been in it for so long now. I was trying to remember something the other day. I'm like, time look, time's like a blur. Like, was that a year ago? Was that two years ago? (laughs) What the heck? But if someone would have slowly started stocking up at the very beginning, I mean, they'd have a really nice stockpile right now. So sometimes people will say, man, it's too late. You missed the boat. And I, I don't agree with that. So if you can slowly stock up, and but money is tight, where would you suggest people focus on right now? I would, I would focus on improvisation. I mean, there are many ways to skin the proverbial cat. And let's say if, if buying uh, gauze bandages and things like that and, and dressings, I think that if you go to, to Walmart and you buy the cheapest uh, sheets or dollar or dollar tree or, you know, buy any, <clears throat> buy the cheapest sheets that you have, cut them up and make bandages of them. If you uh, buy, if you buy medical supplies, buy something that has uh, multiple uses, things like uh, the SWAT tourniquet, the SWAT tourniquet is not only an effective tourniquet if used properly, but it also can be used to stabilize a splint uh, for, for an injury. It can be used as a pressure dressing, just, you know, without the tourniquet effect. Mm-hmm. So that, ace that's wrapping that ace wraps also are very as a useful, sling. right? No, nope. it also act it works as, oh, as a oh, sling. Oh, right. Oh, yes. The SWAT can work as a, a sling also. So lots of things with regards to that, a triangular bandage, one of the cheapest at medical supplies, basically of, uh, it's almost like a old boy scout kerchief mm-hmm. and uh, Amy actually <clears throat> did a video, which we, I think did seven different things, different, seven different ways to use a Where triangular to bandage. Yeah. How to use it in your wrapping, hand, your head. Right. Right. And all sorts of different things. So, so there are a lot of different ways that you can improvise to move, uh, you know, to make sure that uh, people are, are medically prepared. Absolutely. So other things that I would think to do is, again, we had mentioned Walmart for the sheets, the white cotton sheets, but also Dollar Tree, which I think also owns Dollar General. Uh, But we go to Dollar Tree a lot and they actually have a decent supply of medical items. You can get hydrogen peroxide, you can get alcohol, decent bottles. You can get witch hazel, Um, So those are just three antiseptics right there. Um, But you can also get um, a decent amount of uh, assorted band-aids. They have different size gauzes that are sterile. Um, They have medications and acids. They have um, heat and cold um, patches. They have all kinds of things. So go visit your Dollar General or your Dollar Tree and go into that, that health section um, they have sunscreen, you know, there's just a variety of things. I mean, they have all kinds of cold medicines. Of course, at the height of the pandemic, the shelves were pretty much emptied. Right. You, I will say <laughs> they're that, catching Oh, and they have little hand sanitizers. Right. I think that 
we have to even go even more basic. I think that in a true survival scenario that one of the most common ways that people may die unnecessarily would be simply by being exposed to bad water and questionable water, questionable food preparation, you know, poor, poorly prepared food, wind up getting sick Mm -hmm. and getting dysentery, let's say, or something like that, and then wind up becoming dehydrated and dying from dehydration. I mean, which was indeed the main cause of death for soldiers during the Civil War. I mean, m- many more died as a result of dehydration than from bullet or shrapnel wounds. So that's one of the... the Definitely that- prepare to have food and water safety. Exactly. I sure. think that's important. And that, that prevention. So, it's it's all, so basic. It's all about but prevention, it's all preven- really. Exactly. So do you still... You, would you recommend... And I, I know that... Um, I've, I've talked to, I think I've talked about this with you before in the past, but um, would you recommend any classes out there for people to, I mean, do you, do you still recommend, you know, the, the Red Cross first aid classes and the different things like that? Are, are there any classes out there that maybe someone who wanted to get more knowledge would be, you know, you would, you would advise to go take that class versus maybe the Red Cross first aid or, or whatever? Well, it really just depends on how much how much information how much knowledge you've started off with. I mean, how much knowledge and training have you had, and that really would depend on what the next step would be. And so, for if you haven't learned CPR, you should probably <clears throat> learn CPR. If you haven't done CERT um, uh, training, well, you probably should consider that. And if there are, of course, all sorts of different commercial enterprises that teach you wilderness training, uh, first aid training and things like that. And certainly that would be a, that would be a good next step. Even beyond that, some people even take EMT basic. Absolutely. And, and veering off from the EMT paramedic track is the nursing track. So a nursing assistant class, I think, is like four to six weeks, depending on whether you just do evenings or you do daytime. And you could learn some decent things in that. Um, yeah, like just, your community college, whatever, go into your, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's short and, you know, it, it's, it give you a taste of it. And also that nursing assistant course is going to give you some of those basics, um, like that chapter I have on nursing care, because that's really what those people are for is the nursing assistants are there to care for that patient who's in bed, keep them clean, keep them well um, hydrated, keep them eating good nutrition, keep them turning in bed so they don't get ulcerations. Right. These are preventive things that are important that actually will save lives. Right. Checking um, their input and output, which means how much are they intaking, drinking, and how much are they putting out? Do they have a kidney issue? So, I mean, you just, you, you learn things that you never thought of that I think would be super handy. And then of course, if you like it, you can move on. The next step is an LPN, a licensed practical nurse. And then if you like that, you can become a registered nurse and then you can be a nurse practitioner. You can go as far as you want. Most people, most people obviously (laughs) don't, don't have the time and commitment uh, to, to do these things, but you should learn something. And so if you haven't learned you know, how to deal with basic issues 
what, even whether even down to disinfecting water or, or proper preparation of food, I mean, you're going to save lives. I, I think when we when we talk about groups and preparedness groups, everybody wants someone with medical you know, uh, knowledge. And, and I think that just creates a lot of value for yourself. If you have that, you know, totally. totally. Absolutely. All right. So in my, in my exclusive email group, we have been talking about antibiotics. It's, it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, I, I didn't tell anybody I was interviewing you, but they, people have been talking about antibiotics, but you were one of the first Oh, yeah. I mean, you were the first physicians to write about fish antibiotics and to, to get it out. I mean, <laughs> I think it's so, I guess I've read those articles so long ago. I still refer back to them. And we actually did a, a whole episode on that uh, here on the podcast. And I'm going to, I'm going to link to some of those, those past ones and still people are like, no, I, I would never take fish antibiotics. I can't even believe, you know, you're even recommending that. But I mean, you've been talking about it for, I mean, it's been like a decade, right? And yep. so you, you, I, I think that first time around, uh, Thomas Labs was one of the ones that you uh, were talking about, and it was one of the main distributors. Uh, but, you know, they're not around anymore, or they're not taking antibiotic uh, you know, they're not, they're not providing antibiotics out there. So for those who do want the fish antibiotics, what, you know, what, where can they go? How can they get these life-saving antibiotics? Well, it's not as easy as it used to be. I mean, the FDA has decided to increase their quote unquote stewardship. We're going to increase our stewardship of antibiotics in, in the future. And, uh, their first step was uh, the control of antibiotics associated with food producing livestock which uh, it basically meant that you required a, a veterinary prescription to obtain just about any antibiotic that was used in, uh, in food producing livestock. But this did not yet extend to the pet trade, which were the fish and bird meds that I've been writing about for so many years. Now, despite this, and, and the fact that there was no, it was not illegal for Thomas Labs to make the fish antibiotics, uh, there was pressure applied to them, and in view of what they think was going, going to happen, they chose to stop their repackaging of human antibiotics for consumption in pet fish and birds. There was no company that actually produced fish and bird antibiotics on their own. They just took batches of human antibiotics and repackaged them as bird and fish meds. And you can go to my website to read many articles in which I show this and it's and in the book too. It's in and it's in the book. Yes, <laughs> right, and it's in the book. But there are, the good news is that I mean that made a huge hole in the market for the family medic who wanted supplies for medical storage and for survival settings. But other companies have stepped up, like uh, Fishbiotic, Aquameds, uh, Fishaid, uh, others. Uh, even some of these, though, under some pressure, have stopped offering certain drugs. So it might be wise to get a supply of antibiotics for survival medical storage sooner than later. You can still get them at a number of different uh, websites. Fishmoxfishflex.com comes to comes to mind, which is funny because those fishmox and fishflex don't no longer exist. Right. That actual name yeah, doesn't yeah, exist. Yeah. Chewy.com. Chewy.com has some. Uh, I recently ordered from Valley Vet. Valleyvet.com. I don't know so if it was still, val- still can get them. 
I was, was just going to say, I, I know, I just didn't know if it had the word supplies. Oh, okay. I think it's Valley Vet supplies. Oh, I see. But we actually ordered from them. But for the, for the people who are not sure, and they just, no matter what anyone says, it's very, it's very simple. Buy a bottle. They have bottles with as few as 10 or 30 tablets for cheap. Buy a bottle, open it up, go on a website that's a pill identification or pill identifier website. And you can just Google those words, pill identification, and enter in the color, the size. Is it a capsule? Is it a tablet? And what are the letters or numbers on it? And you will find exactly who makes that particular medication because the FDA is very strict on the identification of medications. So if somebody has an overdose or somebody takes something and in a adverse reaction happens, they can trace it back to the actual manufacturer so that everyone knows who, where that medication came from. And each pill and capsule that's produced by these companies has to have a unique number, letter, color, color combination. Maybe it's yellow and black with a certain numbers. Everyone. So if you get macrobid, and it's yellow and black with certain letters on it, you aren't from a particular company, you aren't going to get another yellow and black medication with those same numbers or letters on them from a different manufacturer. So you will actually know who makes it, where it's made, the name of the company, and all the information you need to know about that medication. So you and you're assured that it's a human antibiotic. And all the ones that we've recommended have at least are identical to at least to the same medicine produced for humans by at least one human pharmaceutical company. And so that's how you know that they're exactly the same item. Um, now I, I expect a lot more problems getting this stuff in the future. And so it's important for <clears throat> people. Possible. I think I mentioned this before that, you know, you probably should get these sooner than later if you're going to have them. Certainly having antibiotics is going to save a lot of lives if you were suddenly thrown off the grid due to some disaster and it's something that you should do. Now you want to know how to use these meds. I mean, uh, we have written a book called Alton's antibiotics and infectious disease, the Did, layman's guide. Are you mentioning that it's updated? And, and we have updated it to remove, remove the Thomas lab medicines that no longer are being produced and uh, added some that are currently be, being produced now in, a couple of years, they may not be. So it's something that is, we'll be uh, trying to stay on top of and make sure that we adjust things as we, as that happens. But I want people to remember antibiotics are not candy. Okay. They should be used only when absolutely necessary and only in long-term disasters where modern medical care does not exist. You know, you're, you're saying they're not Flintstone vitamins. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, right. Don't just pop them. Cause <laughs> right. You wake up with a sniffle one morning. Right. <laughs> that's right, not yeah. a great idea. Right. And besides that sniffle might be a virus. Right. And, and these don't work on viruses. Antibiotics don't work. on viruses. <laughs> that's right. Hey, can, there's going to be people that listen to this that are new to the podcast. Again, I'm going to link to all our other episodes because they're so informative. You provided a lot of information. I mean, there was a one on, medicines to stockpile. And then you did a whole episode on, on the antibiotics thing. But for those that are listening to this one and haven't listened to those other ones, can you just briefly don't, you don't have to go into a long explanation, but can you briefly talk about 
expiration dates because everybody who gets, you know, they go to the pharmacy, they get their antibiotics. It says they expire in a year. Can you briefly talk about that real quick? Well, let's talk about that. What is an expiration date? An expiration date is the last date that a pharmaceutical company will guarantee 100% potency of the medication in question. And these didn't exist, actually. They weren't required to put expiration dates on until 1979. That's uh, uh, something that just uh, started a few decades ago. But basically what happens when you take a medicine that is expired in most cases, you're probably not going to grow a horn in the middle of your forehead or, you know, grow a third <laughs> eye. You are probably are going to be actually fine. And how do I know this? How could I possibly say something like this? Because the Department of Defense has warehouses throughout the country where they have stored millions of doses of various types of drugs. And as these drugs became expired, they would get the forklifts out and they would throw away tens of millions of dollars worth of medicine. Well, even the Department of Defense thought that this might be a little bit wasteful. And so what they did is they instituted a, a study called the Shelf Life Extension Program. And, and that evaluated more than 100, I think 122 different medicines commonly used in peacetime emergencies. And they found that almost all of the medicines that were in pillar capsule form were 100% potent and, and safe between two to 12 years after their expiration date. And some of these medicines were only two years expired at the time they were evaluated. And so from my standpoint, to me, it seems, it seems that if you're talking about storage for survival settings where new pharmaceuticals are not being made, it probably would be wise to keep some of the older, seem, keep some of the medicines that you have in your medical storage, even if after they expire, because most likely they're going to be perfectly fine. Now, of course, there are some circumstances where they might not be. If you notice that a pill has changed, it has an odor now or has, has sticks together to with the other pills, things like that, those are signs that, you know, that those medicines may not be too good. Aspirin comes to mind. If aspirin goes bad, it smells like ammonia. Okay. So that's something that, you know, that you, that you can tell. Now, otherwise... These medicines are probably going to be fine and they're going to be somewhat less potent, maybe over the course of time if they've been expired for a while. Uh, but even some liquid medicines, which normally don't stay potent very long after their expiration dates, they're finding some of these liquid medicines actually do last longer. Epi the EpiPen, for example, which is liquid epinephrine, uh, they did a study on uh, EpiPens that were three years expired and they found that they were about 80% potent. And so they, even the company itself even says that if you have only an expired EpiPen, just use it. And, you know, you may need to use two of them, you know, to get the exact same effect as, as, as a, a totally fresh one, but still use the expired medicine. And the, the government has issued emergency use authorizations for a lot of medicines that were either in short supply or... Uh, a, a particular medical emergency came by. For example, the anti-influenza drug uh, Tamiflu uh, during the swine flu epidemic that, uh, that or pandemic, it was a pandemic of about 10 years ago. Well, they get, instituted an emergency use authorization for Tamiflu that was up to five years expired. So in other words, you know, they, the government itself 
gave you permission to use these medicines. So that's a long explanation, Joe, but yeah, people, hopefully people will not throw away their medicine. I mean, it's one thing if I say it, it's another thing if you say it, they're going to listen to you. Yeah, you, you, well, you're yeah, they doctor. should listen. They should listen to you. Too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's uh, it's yeah, it's it's one of those things. Listen, staying on with uh, with the whole concept of of and talking about medicine. Uh, one thing that's been in the news lately is the new oral COVID pill or drugs, right, that are coming out, and uh, a lot of people are saying, okay. Maybe they did away with all the other ones that were out there, so that they were they didn't they didn't recommend those other ones because they wanted their own and and to be able to uh, produce those. So, how do the new the new pills that are out there for COVID? How do they compare to uh, like like Evermectin? Well, I'll tell you, the new drugs that that are out are uh, called Molnupiravir, and that's from from Merck Pharmaceuticals. The other one is called Pax. Paxlovid from Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. And these medications have been shown not only to decrease, these are oral medications, pills, you could take them at home. And they not only decrease hospitalization rates and deaths in, in the unvaccinated, but can be taken as an out, as I said, as an outpatient and at a much lower cost than the current accepted uh, treatments, which are mostly intravenous infusions like remdesivir, dexamethasone, or the monoclonal antibodies. Additionally, the new discoveries seem to be effective against newer mutations like the Delta variant. So that's something that's very useful. It's obvious that oral options represent a major breakthrough in the treatment of COVID-19 infections. Uh, Molnupiravir, that in, inhibits coronavirus replication inside the body, it, it inserts errors into the viral genetic code, and it causes what they call an error catastrophe when, when errors just pile one on top of each other, it stops the viral replication completely. And they actually tested it, and uh, I think the results revealed that 14% uh, uh, of people unvaccinated with COVID ended up hospitalized after uh, uh, if, if they received the placebo, but in the molnupiravir group, there was only 7%. So that's a 50% decrease. Hmm. And no deaths were reported in the group that received molnupiravir compared to eight deaths in the placebo group. The next drug is Pax, Paxlovid, and that was used in combination with another antiviral medicine known as rit ritonavir. And uh, Paxlovid also stops viral replication by, but, but in a different way, it actually... Uh, binds to uh, certain enzymes that are required for a production of something called protease. Without protease, reproduction of a virus can occur. And that this is a good, this is an excellent uh, development because proteases are needed for most coronaviruses. So that would work for SARS, MERS, all sorts of different coronaviruses, even some common cold coronaviruses. Now, those in the study who took Pavlovid were 89% less likely to require hospitalization or die than those taking a placebo. And uh, this is, I think, a really just, just terrific stuff. And, and Molnupiravir and Paxlovid are well underway to approval by the Food and Drug Administration. As a matter of fact, millions of doses of each have already been ordered by the government even before they've been approved. Uh, another drug, however, with potential against uh, the SARS-CoV-2 virus doesn't did not receive the same treatment. That's called ivermectin, 
And ivermectin is a currently approved, it's been around for a long time. It's a, a currently approved by the FDA for a few rare parasitic diseases. And it actually scabies is another thing that, that is maybe Can we just for. say the words for humans? For humans, right. <laughs> yes. Unlike, unlike the, the false media narrative right. that it's a horse paste, which is which is horse duty. <laughs> no, yeah. it is a horse paste. It is, there is a fire. They actually make um, a gel of ivermectin that I use on my face for rosacea. So ivermectin comes in many forms for many different things. For humans. For humans. For humans. And, so, and animals so it's, too. So it's not just a horse paste. Yes. <laughs> okay. So ivermectin actually has been, has been proved. If you go to the uh, frontline COVID uh, critical care Alliance website, which I think is uh, COVID-19 criticalcare.com, you'll see 13 separate studies that found that the, that drug ivermectin cheap, safe drug, reduces the risk of getting COVID an average of 86%. And there are 27 randomized controlled studies, which are even more impressive, you know, type studies, including about 3000 patients that show that ivermectin hastened recovery and reduced mortality in people that did have COVID. So given the fact that ivermectin is cheaper than the $700 price tag that oral molnupiravir is going to have, and probably Paxlovid will probably be the same thing. And even cert and that's even less expensive than co intravenous treatments. Why wasn't it approved for use during the pandemic? Uh, you know, George Merck himself, a very long time ago, said that we try to never forget that medicine is for the people; it's not for the profits. <laughs> well, maybe Merck forgot that when they set the price. Yeah. But besides the obvi obvious financial incentive on the proof of, on the part of manufacturers, political factors again, and I hate to keep bringing up political stuff, have come into play. The media, the media criticized Trump and his administration for recommending ivermectin. That was like the kiss of death for that for that drug, mm -hmm. uh, that, as they did for most things that he proposed, and and of course the fact that people were using it as a as a paste, a horse paste you know, made basically all the medical experts and the media dismiss it entirely as a strategy for us crazy survivalists. Mm. But I would say that if you want to get ivermectin, stay away from the horse pace. It's not the right dosage. You have to actually figure out what, what to take and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of doctors are willing to prescribe the human version. If, if you can't find somebody in your area that does, Go to COVID19CriticalCare.com and click the Get Ivermectin button. You'll find many healthcare providers that provide prescribe it via telemedicine. So expect the cost to be about 79 bucks or so. Now, one thing I would like to add, and it, and it ties into the vaccine discussion or the jab discussion, is that if we have clearly a very successful, and actually we have two now that are approved already, there's a third on the way, yes. I forget the name of the company, but there, there's a third oral a medicine. Bunch, a bunch of companies. Are At least a third to one coming also. So we've two that show great promise, and they're going to be here next year, hopefully early next year. Why are we mandating vaccines that are going to wear off a, or jabs about the time that these pills are going to become available? Why don't we just hold off? on the jabs, on the vaccines, get the medication. You can provide your patient a, a prescription for each person in the family to hold on to 
if they get sick. Now, the great thing about this medicine, which is a little different from um, Tamiflu, is that they've shown as long as you start taking it within five days of getting sick, it actually reduced the hospitalization and eliminated the, the deaths. With Tamiflu, for flu, you have to take it within about 48 hours or so. Um, and then kind of afterwards, it, it does, isn't quite as effective. So you have a little bit longer time to get to the doctor or to call the doctor or to get a, a test to find out you do have a positive COVID test. But I, I think what's going to happen is the good doctors are going to provide these prescriptions for people to keep at home. And then why will we need vaccines? If the vaccine doesn't stop you from getting sick, if you're still going to get sick, if you get COVID, you have a slight reduction with, with the jab. And the pill decreases the hospitalization and, and from their studies eliminates deaths, not decreases like the jab decreases, but eliminates because we, we're talking about a zero death rate in these studies right? For with both the pills. Pax, both, for both Paxlovid both types and had a zero from the one had eight and the other one had nine. They had zero deaths in the, in the actual medication group. This sounds like a lot better results than a jab with probably the least amount of side effects. That doesn't mean that so if, you, if you're... Why don't we just get the pills, wait for the pills, and then let everybody take them if they get sick. And then we'll have this great natural immunity which is better than getting the jab or the vaccine. Now, of course, you know, this is a personal decision. You have to make your own decision. Of course, if you're, which is what like, I said before, you're elderly your, and you have 49 different exactly. medical issues, then you make, this consider, is always our disclaimer. If yeah, you, right. if you're exposing yourself to other people who could possibly have, you know, bad outcomes of COVID, you may consider getting a vaccine. You know, if you work in a nursing home, it's probably a great idea. You know, there are certain populations that, you know, it's probably recommended, but now that we have these pills coming forth, I think we need to cool it with the mandates is my feeling. I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. So I have one last question for you guys, uh, for both of you. What, what concerns you about the future of medicine? Well, medicine for me, my, my concern is that medicine is no longer medicine. The medicine is now politics. And, and just as the average citizen is being pressured these days to adhere to certain ideologies based on their racial or ethnic identity, doctors are now being pressured greatly to adhere to the philosophy of the Medi American Medical Association. The AMA the has CDC, gone bonkers. And all the so-called mainstream medical experts. I mean, even the concept of critical race theory is now considered a core educational aspect for medical doctors and even nurse practitioners. You can't renew your license without being re-educated to see things through the lens of race, gender, and tribal identity. And this was only going to get more concentrated or more or worse as time goes on. There's going to be a time or there they may come a time when the care you receive may depend to some extent on those factors. And to me, that is a very, very, very bad thing. I mean, the strains of such a policy is going to make a medical career, in my opinion, less inviting and more of the, our best and brightest of all demographics are just not going to consider going into it. And 
I wouldn't blame him. I, honestly, it's a great time actually to be a lawyer or maybe a video game designer, <laughs> but not so much a doctor uh, and uh, or, or, or a nurse practitioner. And you're just being, we're being indoctrinated just as many others are being indoctrinated to one ideology. And it's, uh, it, it's not a good thing in, it's not a good thing in general, and it's not definitely not a good thing in medicine. I mean, when you see doctors who put out opinions in the past almost two years being eliminated, being fired from their job because of a YouTube video they put out or a tweet that they put out, maybe mentioning a side effect of this vaccine, it's crazy. It's as, it's as if you can't discuss anything negative about what the mainstream science or media have said, this is our declaration. And if you diverge from our single one thought, then we're going to cause you to not have a job, not feed your family, not participate in the professional world that you've lived in for years. I mean, look at all these nurses and doctors who are, are quitting or being fired from hospitals because maybe they had some patients that had some serious side effects. They've seen this. They decided for themselves that, you know, I'll wear a mask. I'll protect myself. I'll make sure my immunity is boosted. If I get sick, I won't expose myself to anyone else. Well, for whatever reason, moral reasons, religious reasons, they just don't trust it. Whatever it is, they're losing their jobs. And in this some world has gone upside down. If you really care about the healthy and health and safety of the public, stop forcing people to get vaccines. We're losing police officers. We're losing paramedics, EMT, um, 911 call callers or people who take those calls. I mean, we're losing vital people, truckers. <laughs> it's insane. Why should a trucker have to get a vaccine? He's in a truck by himself. He can roll the window down and get fresh air. I mean, why does he have to get a vaccine? In anyway, some, in the some, world's gone crazy. In some places, doctors, in order to give their patient uh, a, a unapproved medication like ivermectin, uh, have to actually sue the hospital that they're, they work for and, uh, and just lose their privileges at the hospital. And, and it's just it's just insane what's happening and how medicine is no longer medicine. It really is just politics. Even, even more reason why we should take uh, an active approach to our own health and uh, get as knowledgeable as we can and be prepared as we can. It just, uh, that, that's one of those areas that I think uh, everyone should be paying attention to on top of the, the food, the water, the, everything that we do. I think the medical, your health, all that stuff is, is so important right now. Absolutely. hundred percent. Well, guys, I, I really appreciate the time that you've taken to, uh, to talk with us and share all these. I mean, we talked about a wide range of, of issues today. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Uh, I want to highly recommend again, your book, the survival medicine handbook, um, the new edition, the fourth edition, the humongous, we're just going to name it the humongous edition. We'll just do that. <laughs> and, um, Wait, we can call it the medical monster. The yes. medical, okay, that's good. The medical monster. Uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll do that. So if people are new to the podcast, uh, they're hitting this episode for the very first time, how can they 
get in contact with you guys? How can they connect with you? Uh, well, we have a website, Doom and Bloom. That's not Doom and Gloom. That's Doom and Bloom, like mm-hmm. a flower. Uh, .net. If you put in .com, I, I own that too, but we've had .net forever. Um, we have a store, store.doomandbloom.net. On the top of doomandbloom.net is all of our connections. We have our YouTube channel. You just push on that little icon for YouTube. Uh, we have our Twitter connection there. We have uh, Facebook. We have a Facebook group also. Their survival medicine group. <laughs> right. Shock. Um, so you can find us. MeWe. We do have. Mighty Network. I don't have an icon for MeWe. But when if you go to MeWe. Uh, when you search for survival medicine, unfortunately, the first uh, results that come up are going to be people. So you have to look to the left on the menu and scroll down and click groups, and then it will give you the group result. And then we show up at the top of the group result. So people say, we can't find you on MeWe. It's because it's only giving you people first. We're on YouTube and Odyssey as well. Dr. Bones. Yep, Narsani, Odyssey. Uh, and uh, uh, Twitter, Parlay. Uh, gosh, you can find us anywhere. If you have a specific question for us, contact us via email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Yep. Anytime. Happy to answer questions. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast again. Uh, like I said, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Todd, so much. And thank you for what you do for the preparedness world also. You're, you're doing a good service to your community. Ditto. Thank you. God bless. God bless. <laughs> God bless. All right, Dr. Joe Alton and Nurse Amy Alton, thank you so much for hanging out with me again on this episode. There was a lot of great information. We touched on a lot of different um, you know, situations here, and I, I think it's very, very beneficial for everyone out there. Again, those who want to live a more self-reliant life, medical preparedness should be a big, big piece of that. Listen, guys, their book, their new fourth edition book is awesome. And uh, like I said in the interview, I'm going to do a video just to kind of highlight all the information that's in there and how big it is. I mean, this is just really huge. Uh, I I just highly encourage you to go over there and check it out. Remember, if you want a colored copy, you have to go over to their website, store.bloomanddoom.net. But if you want the, you know, just a black and white version, you can head on over to Amazon and you can get it there. Well, guys, that's it for episode 719. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And don't forget, if you're looking for more preparedness and self-reliant information, head on over to PrepperWebsite.com, where we link to 8 to 12 articles every day of the very best prepper, survival, homesteading, and other self-reliant articles on the web. We also have pages dedicated to alternative news, firearms, DIY, Bible prophecy, frugal living, and homesteading. And lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, live with no regrets and stay prepped and aware. Peace.